Let us pray. Lord, may the words of our mouth and the meditation of our hearts be found acceptable in your sight. For you, O Lord, are our rock and redeemer. Amen. Our text for this morning is the third chapter of Galatians. I'm not going to read it in its entirety now, but if you have Bibles and you find Galatians 3, I'll be kind of walking through it as part of our message. I don't know how many of you pay attention to church signs and what they say on them. There are a lot of them that have kind of interesting messages on them. And as I travel around in the country and drive, I read a lot of them. I try to remember them. It kind of seems to me that if churches spend a lot of good money on a sign, uh, they would want to display some sort of a um, uplifting message, a message about the goodness of God, uh, a message that might actually inspire a non-believer to visit that church Sunday to see what's going on and maybe learn a little bit more about the love of God and Jesus Christ. Now, for example, I saw one not long ago that said, free tickets to heaven, inquire within. Now, some people might think that's a little bit corny. In fact, I actually think it's kind of corny, but at least implies that there's some good news to be found inside that church. However, some signs I've actually seen aren't all that encouraging or uplifting. Sometimes they're negative. Sometimes they're just plain, simple, insulting, and some of them are just, I don't know, too cute for words. For example, forbidden fruit causes many jams. I don't know, that's just too cute and too mushy for me. In Arkansas, however, remarkably on two different churches in two consecutive towns as we were driving up from the Little Rock area, It said on their sign, stop, drop, and roll will not help you in hell. Now, I kind of laughed when I first heard that, but then I began to thought, what kind of message is that to give to the unsaved in our community? It's kind of like saying, you folks are going to hell, we're not, so we're going to make jokes about it. And I'm not sure that the doctrine of hell is something that should be taken quite so lightly. Or maybe you've actually seen this one. When it comes to giving, some people will stop at nothing. Now, I've been in ministry long enough to know that this statement is true. But is that what we want, is that what we want to say to everybody who walks into our building? I mean, imagine if you were to go out to eat today in the sign out front that says, when it comes to tipping, some customers stop at nothing. Now, one pastor told me he actually put that on his church sign. You know, when it comes to giving, some people stop at nothing. And he actually got an email that said, when it comes to churches, some only care about money. It caused him to rethink what he was putting on his signs. Uh, another one, download your troubles, go to God in prayer. Now, that one has kind of the right idea, uh, but technically, if you are computer savvy, savvy, you know that you download something on your system you upload, you transfer it to another system so that you really ought to say upload your troubles. Now, I could go on and on with these that I've seen. I've only posted one in my entire life that I actually got some negativity. We put on our sign in Texarkana, when Jesus got crucified, Satan got nailed. Now, somebody called and was very upset that we had the word Satan on our church sign. did not belong to our church but said they are, she does not allow her kids to see that word or use that word, and so now she had to find a new way to take them to school in the morning. I didn't know how to respond. One more curious sign I saw. I saw this one in Oklahoma, 
And this one kind of leads into our message today. It only had three words on the sign. Oh, foolish Galatians. That's all it said. Oh, foolish Galatians. That was it. And I thought I missed something. But I saw it passing back, and I thought, well, maybe they ran out of letters. Uh, maybe they'll add more later. But I knew that they probably didn't. Now, that phrase, oh, foolish Galatians, is found in the first verse of chapter 3 of Galatians that we're going to look at today. Uh, and, and though we, we're never going to know why that pastor put, oh, foolish Galatians, on his church signboard, unless he was referring to his own congregation, I'm not sure. After today's message, hopefully you'll know why Paul used it and why we could probably take the word Galatians out and sometimes add your name or sometimes add names of churches. Let me read you just the first three verses of Galatians. O foolish Galatians, what magician has cast an evil spell on you? For you used to see the meaning of Jesus Christ's death as clearly as though I had shown you a signboard with a picture of Christ dying on the cross. Let me ask you this one question. Did you receive the Holy Spirit by keeping the law? Of course not. For the Holy Spirit came upon you only after you believed the message you heard about Christ. Have you lost your senses? After starting your Christian lives in the Spirit, why are you now trying to become perfect by your own human effort? See, right there, we already got a pretty good idea why Paul called these people foolish. Because they had been given this wonderful life by grace, through faith in Jesus Christ. And now they were trying to move forward in this Christian life by their own human effort. It was kind of like they said uh, to Jesus, uh, thanks for the jump start. I think I can make it from here. Now, why do we do that sometimes? Why do we sometimes say, okay, God saved me. Now I'm, I'm going to go on my own. I think sometimes we call it pride. We call it arrogance. We call it ego. We kind of like to think sometimes that we actually have something to do with our salvation. We like to think that we have like earned some things from God and we can kind of rack up our own little brownie points and move forward from there. But Paul makes it very, very clear. You will never, ever, ever, never, never, ever earn God's blessings. You only receive them by faith in God through Jesus Christ. Faith is the key to our relationship. Faith opens the windows to God's blessings in our life. And I want to track now through Galatians 3 and just show you three things I think God does or works in our life when we put our faith in him. The very first thing is our faith makes you right with God. I mean, think about that. Galatians 3.24 says, The law was our guardian and teacher to lead us until Christ came. So now, through faith in Christ, you are made right with God. Now, the question is, what did Paul mean when he said that the law was our guardian and our teacher? Some translations say the law was our tutor. Well, if you were to go back and study the original Greek, uh, you would see that the word there is paedagogos. In a Greek household, the care of the young children was delegated to an older uh, more established, more trusted slave in the house. He was the custodian, if you will, of those children. He saw to it that they learned their social skills, like how to sit at the table, how to eat, how to be polite to other people. Uh, he saw to it that they got to school and back from school. Uh, he wasn't a tutor in an academic sense. He wasn't the child's teacher. He was more of a caretaker, maybe what we might even call today a nanny. 
Now, that word that describes that slave, paedagogos, is the exact same word that Paul uses here for the word law. He said the law is our custodian. Uh, It teaches us right and wrong. Uh, those of you who remember Luther's small catechism, Luther said that, there, that the, the law is a curb, a rule, and a mirror. It keeps us on the straight and narrow. It shows us what we really look like. And um, it also shows us whether we measure up or not. Uh, it shows us the proper boundaries in life. But the law cannot save us. I remember in grade school a teacher writing SOS on the blackboard. He said, Does anybody know what this Means And everybody thought, well, it had something about a, uh, an emergency signal. And he said, no, SOS, the law is, shows our sins. And then he said, but the gospel, SOS, shows our Savior. See, so the law can only tell us where we're wrong. Only the gospel, only the good news of Jesus Christ can save us from those sins. And, and it is through the law, this custodian, that we just become Aware of our inability. Now let me ask you a question. Do you want to know how to be overcome with despair in a very short period of time? Now whether you want to know it, I'm going to tell you anyway. This is how how you can become overcome with despair. Try to live perfectly according to the law. Try to do everything that you know you should do without ever messing up once. Just try that sometime and see how long it lasts. In fact, if we all start enough, I say, now, we start right now, a good portion of you won't even make it through my sermon. Some may make it through the service. Uh, some of you may last until after lunch. Some of you don't own a television, uh, might make it into the evening, but it's still probably not very likely. I just, how long can you go without thinking is what I'm really saying. Or not even for a second. I mean, one thought that you shouldn't think. One vindictive thought. One selfish thought, one jealous thought, one lustful thought, one self-righteous thought. How long can you go without any of that stuff flittering through your mind? Now, as I said, such an attempt would just bring on nothing but despair, faster than you can imagine, uh, because it causes you to realize I cannot control my thoughts. I can't control my actions. I know the right thing to do, uh, but I, I can't always force myself to do it. I I know what's wrong, but I can't always keep from doing it. Now, if that sounds familiar, you probably heard Paul say that in Romans chapter 7. Let me read what Paul said. Listen, I don't understand myself at all, for I really want to do what is right, but I don't do it. Instead, I do the very thing I hate. No matter which way I turn, I can't make myself do right. I want to, but I can't. When I want to do good, I don't. When I try not to do wrong, I do it anyway. Anybody been there? All of us have been there. That's what the law does to us. It shows us how sinful we are. It draws this stark line between right and wrong. And more often than not, we find ourselves on the wrong side of that line. In Galatians 3.18, Paul says this is why the law was given, to show us how guilty we are. And then in verses 21 and 22, he said, if the law could have given us new life, We could have been made right with God by obeying it. But here's the problem. We don't obey it. We can't obey it. The more we try, the more we fail. But the scriptures have declared that we are all prisoners of sin. So the only way to receive God's promise 
is to believe in Jesus Christ. There it is, just that simple. So, if you want to be right with God, if you want to stay right with God, there's only one way to get it done. You put your faith in Jesus, the Messiah. You don't put your faith in yourself uh, or how well you keep the law because you'll never be good enough to earn a passing grade. I had a guy one time tell me he was doing as many good works as he possibly could to get his way into heaven. And I said, let me tell you a little story. Can you imagine this? You die and you get to heaven. And there you go, and somebody says, why should I let you in? And they say, well, I've done a lot of good in my life. And whoever's at the gate, let's say St. Peter, and and he looks at Nancy, and Nancy says, I've done as many good works as I possibly could. And St. Peter opens up and he goes, yeah, let's see, cold, cold, cold. Let's see, oh, man, there you are. Yeah, it says here that in your lifetime you did 16,347,281 good works. You just missed it by one. <laughs> now, would that be crushing or not? Because we don't know. First of all, it doesn't count. It doesn't count. It's not going to get us there. See, so if you want to be right with God, you put your faith in him. Paul is saying these foolish Galatians, stop trying to earn your righteousness. You begin the Christian life by putting your faith in Jesus Christ. The only way to continue in this Christian life is to continue to put your, your, your faith in him. And if you want to have a fulfilling, empowering relationship with God, just stop trying to earn it. Put all your eggs in one basket, Jesus the Christ. You just kind of learn how to say, continue, Lord, I want to be right with you, but you know I can't do it. I'm a sinner. And the only way I can make it through this life is to continually come and lay those sins before you, knowing you're going to forgive them. And, Lord, I just trust in you fully and completely. Here's the second thing what faith does. It puts you in touch with God's power. Verse 5, I don't know if, I mean, there's a sneaky little word in this verse. Uh, he says, I ask you again, does God give you the Holy Spirit and work miracles among you because you obeyed the law of Moses? Of course not. It is because you believe the message you heard about Christ. Now, I don't know if you, you notice how casually this verse mentions the word miracles. Miracles at work in their lives. See, Paul accepted the presence of miracles as commonplace in the Christian life. And apparently, miracles were rather common in Galatia. But if you ask me what I think about that, I think God wants miracles to be a common part of our lives even in 2016. And by miracle, I mean a supernatural intervention of God's power in our life. And I think we can and should expect it on a consistent basis. But as Paul tells us in verse 5, miracles aren't handed out according to how well we do. They're given what? In response to our faith. See, God is willing to do miracles in our life if we're willing to put our faith in him. Now, over the years, I have seen countless numbers of miracles. Probably more than I can count because any time God intervenes, it's a miracle. I'm not talking about laying hands on somebody who's deaf and suddenly having them hear, although that's a miracle. But any time God intervenes in somebody's life, that is a miracle. Now, there are some people, believe it or not, who will tell you that the age of miracles has passed. That God no longer does this kind of thing. But every time I ever hear that, I say, are you saying that the age of answered prayer 
has passed? Are you saying that God no longer answers prayer? See, friends, answered prayer is a miracle. If God has stopped performing miracles, then God has stopped answering prayers. If that's true, we should eliminate every last one of them out of our worship service. But, of course, there's no one here that believes that, I hope. I pray not. See, you can experience God's miraculous power on a consistent basis. And I'm going to tell you how. Let me give you just a quick little, I guess, a two-part lesson in miracles. Can I sneak an extra sermon in here? I am anyway. Here's part one. And that's to expect to see miracles mostly in other people's lives. That may surprise you, but I'm not saying that you can't look for God's miracles in your own life. But I'm saying that most of your prayers for God's miraculous intervention should be for the benefit of someone else. See, if the only person you are ever praying for is just yourself, I sometimes sometimes think you're kind of missing the point. See, too often we come to God with this lengthy list of detailed requests for ourselves, and when we get to the end, we start mentioning other people, and we always kind of say it this way, and oh, by the way, bless grandma and grandpa and bless aunt and bless, 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 bless all these people. Now, every time I hear the word bless, I think you should add in it, bless them how. How do you want God to bless them? See, nearly every person you know, in fact, all of you this morning, need a miracle of some kind in your life. What you need to do is find out from people who are closest to you in which area of their life they really need to experience God's intervention. It may just be controlling their anger. It may be controlling their thought life. It may be that things aren't just going quite as well in their marriage as they hoped, or maybe they're having disagreements with their children. But everybody has some need. And then pray specifically for those people. Now, here's what I've learned about praying for other people. When I pray for myself, believe it or not, sometimes I struggle with doubt. I wonder whether God really wants to do this in my life. But, you know, whenever I pray for other people, that's hardly ever a problem. I don't know why that is. It's always easier sometimes to ask in faith for other people than myself. Now, I'm not saying don't pray for yourself. Don't misunderstand me. Don't misquote me. Don't report me to the district president or even the synodical one. You ought to pray for yourself. But pray for others, too. Pray for them often. Pray in faith and ask that God would intervene in their lives with his power. And in this little brief course of miracles, I'd also say look for opportunities to actually be a miracle in somebody else's life. I attend two Bible studies in Branson every week. And in one of them I attend, I heard uh, it was reported that there was a single mother uh, who had major car trouble. And her old heap really was not worth repairing. Now, this is a major crisis in her life because she had to take one child to school. She had another one she had to put in child care. She still had to go to work, and she had absolutely no transportation. Now, when a family in that church heard about it, the pastor said, they said, you know, we got three cars. There are only two of us in ours. We got three cars. I don't know how that happens. I won't ask you if you've got that problem, too. But he's like, why can't we let this gal use one of our cars for a few months while she saves up and can get another one? So so for him and his wife, it turned out to be a minor inconvenience not to have that third car around. But guess what? It was a major miracle in that single mom's life. See, one of the the miracles that God often works among us is that he lets lets us be generous. Or he lets us be compassionate so that we can somehow bless other people. I mean, loaning a car to somebody for six months 
uh, was a step of faith for one family, but it was a miracle for another family. Uh, that step of faith, though, did wonders for that lady and her children. Now, Paul said, God works miracles among you because you believe the message you heard about Christ. I think we need to see that for ourselves. We need to believe that God will work miracles among us as well. We just need to put our faith in him see what he'll do. And faith is the key. Here's the last thing I would tell you from this chapter. Is faith gives you access to your true inheritance. I don't know how many of you are looking for an inheritance someday. I don't really know anybody I'm going to get anything from, so I guess I'm not. And so I'm only going to look to the one that I, I received from my Father in heaven. Galatians talks about this in verses 8 and 9. What more, or what's more, the scriptures look forward to this time when God would accept the Gentiles too on the basis of their faith. God promised this good news to Abraham long ago when he said, All nations will be blessed through you. So it is, all who put their faith in Christ share the same blessing Abraham received because of his faith. And then you skip down to verse 29. And now that you belong to Christ... You are the true children of Abraham. You are his heirs. And now all the promises God gave to him belong to you. Do you know that, that all the promises that God gave to Abraham are yours today as well? I mean, Paul is saying Abraham believed the promise. And because of his belief, God declared him to be righteous. In other words, to be consistent with his covenant that he made. And this happened about 430 years before he ever gave the law to Moses. So Paul is saying that this righteousness based on faith is really an ancient concept. He's saying that if we have that same faith that Abraham had, then we are like children of Abraham, and we share in this same blessing that God gave to Abraham. Now, what's this blessing? Now, here's the blessing. It's found in Genesis 12:3. This is what God said to Abraham. I will cause you to become the father of a great nation. I will bless you and make you famous, and I will make you a blessing to others. And I will bless those who bless you and curse those who curse you. All the families of the earth will be blessed through you. See, that promise is repeated again in Genesis 18, 18, when God says, For Abraham will become a great and mighty nation, and all the nations of the earth will be blessed through him. See, according to Paul, we're also heirs of that promise. Our inheritance is to be a blessing to other people. I mean, God promised to bless Abraham and his descendants so that they could be a blessing. All of the families of the earth will be blessed through you. And that's really what God wants to do with you. That's what God wants to do with me. He wants to bless us in such a way that we can bless other people in his name. I taught two online classes this last week to some young people who are trained to become missionaries to America. I don't, even, I don't know if you know that we are the third largest mission field in the world today, behind India and China. There's only one country that receives more foreign missionaries than the United States, and that's Brazil. America ranks two in receiving foreign missionaries. But we're raising up missionaries here in America to help bring Jesus back. And, and we want to bless these people. Now, Part of it, I taught one lesson on prison ministry because that's what I have been doing for a long time. But they also asked me to do something on pastoral ministry. And the first thing I told them was, I wish you'd cross the, the word pastoral out. Not that pastors don't ministry, don't do ministry, but too often we think that the only one who is the minister is the pastor. 
And my definition of ministry has always been is whatever you do for someone else in the name of Jesus. I don't care whether you're a farmer. I don't care whether you're a retired homemaker. I don't care who you are. You have opportunities to minister to someone else, to do something else in the name of Jesus for them. And so you're involved in ministry. And and the way you do that, sometimes just step back and take a look at how God's blessed you. Now, God has certainly blessed me in certain ways. He's blessed my wife, who's been, you know, our director of women's ministries for many years. She's good at teaching women's Bible studies. But you step back into your own life and you say, in which way has God blessed me? And how can I use that to bless other people? Now, some of you, maybe God has blessed you with financial abundance. I don't know. Uh, How can you use that to bless other people? Uh, Maybe God's blessed you with a certain talent. You know, we have... The organist with some musical ability to bless other people through that use. Uh, you got a certain skill. You are you're good with your hands, and you could you can build something, and somebody needs something built, and you could go and help them with it. You bless other people. Whatever blessing God has put in your life, realize that it has been given to you so that you can bless someone else. This is our inheritance, and through faith, we are able to activate it. But the key here is, again, faith. Faith. Faith opens the windows to God's blessings in our life. And in Galatians 3, Paul tells us that the life of faith is the only life to live. He said, through faith, we are made right with God and our sins are forgiven. Through faith, we are in touch with God's power and he works miracles among us. And through faith, we receive our inheritance of blessings so that we may bless other people. Now, wouldn't you like to have all three of those? I mean, I certainly would. But they're only available, as I said, and as Paul said, through faith. If you try to earn them, you're going to end up at a place where you think you deserve them and you'll never receive them. Peace with God will always be out of reach because you can't earn it. Answered prayer will always be beyond the realm of responsibility because you don't deserve God's divine intervention. Your inheritance will never be experienced without that faith. I wonder if that pastor didn't put on his church bulletin board, oh foolish Galatians, because he didn't want to put down, oh foolish St. Paul's Lutheran. (laughs) Or maybe he was even thinking of himself, oh foolish Pastor Smith. In the same way that Paul said, oh foolish Galatians. Because all he was trying to do is help people remember that they tried to do something that they were incapable of doing, which was saving themselves. They tried to earn that which only God can give by faith. Friends, it's just that simple. Rely on yourself, rely on your own righteousness, and you will receive nothing. Or put your faith in Jesus Christ and receive everything. It's foolish, really, to live any other life than the life of faith. Faith is, after all, the key to all of God's blessings. May God grant us his favor. In Jesus' name, amen.